So the, the following chat that we have with Ian is um, is for information, it's personal opinion, and it's not for legal advice. Welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. Hi there, welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. Today, we are doing the first half of, a, of an interview with a, with a gentleman called Ian Manners. Ian is a solicitor with um, DAC Beechcroft, um, smashing guy, lives down in Bristol, um, um, but kindly uh, came up to Birmingham to, uh, to meet up with myself to their, to their offices there. Um, and we had, a, we had a really interesting chat. We spoke about loads of different things um, um, and quite a lot of positive stuff. We spoke about due diligence, if you're going to be buying, uh, going to be buying a business. Um, we spoke about some of the future sort of health issues, well-being, that kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm going to uh, um, hand you over to to Ian, um, and uh, um, I'll switch you again at the end. You know, you think about fledgling industries and other areas. You know, Google, disruptive technologies. They give lots of they give their people time, don't they, outside of their production role mm-hmm. or whatever, to time to actually innovate, think about things, you know, spend time in other parts of the business. And I, I was thinking if some of those messages could be translated to industry, does that mm-hmm. then start to drive the culture shift? Because especially in circumstances where you've got people who are doing a process or you know, engaged in the same nature of their work all day, every day, then you can get a bit embedded, can't you? Mm-hmm. And you can potentially not see the issues. But mm-hmm. if you've got other people, other eyes on different parts of business, you know, and enabling them to point things out, mm-hmm. criticise, ask why. Mm-hmm. You know, just ask why certain things are done in a certain way. Then just having that latitude and that space to challenge, I think that's one aspect of really kind of driving cultural change that that it is probably going to be required. Mm. I think it, I think it's totally right. And uh, hey, and I think we're off and running already. So oh, uh, don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. Right. This is absolutely brilliant. Because you know, for me, you know, these, you know, to get to get the most out of these sort of chats is is, is having a chat. And um, you know, sometimes it can it can be a little bit rigid, a little bit formal. So I'm really I'm really comfortable with this. Hey, um, you know, thank you, thank you so much, uh, Ian, for inviting me over to uh, to. Well, I know you're not based in this office, but into to Birmingham to. Uh, um, to to, to DAC Beechcroft, um, and um, would you would you be able to let, let's kick off if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your business, um, and then we'll and then we'll get back into chatting a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm Ian Manners. I'm a senior associate at DAC Beechcroft, and I sit within our national regulatory practice. Um, so I work in Bristol, um, and I've been with DAC Beechcroft. Uh, throughout my career effectively. Um, I started as a paralegal and then a trainee solicitor and then a junior solicitor and roughly about 10 years ago we um, as as an organisation decided that we wanted to have a dedicated regulatory practice to advise and support clients facing regulatory action, investigations and those sorts of things and I joined the team at at the outset and um, and I've been with the team ever since. Um, so in Bristol, we've got uh, a team of six or seven mm-hmm. uh, uh, lawyers, uh, and um, and nationally, as a regulatory practice, we have between twenty-five and thirty lawyers uh, throughout the UK, uh, and and um, yeah, 
colleagues north of the border in Scotland and uh, indeed in Northern Ireland as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we uh, specialise in a, in a range of health and safety work and, and from that immediate proactive post-incident advice, support, representation, um, but also in, in terms of the proactive advice, training and, um, and other matters talking, you know, that touch upon regulatory due diligence. Okay, that's, that's, that's fantastic. And roughly, how many people um, does the company does the company employ? So, DSC Beechcroft is a is a very large um, international law firm, um, employing approximately two and a half thousand people in more than a dozen countries, mm -hmm. um, with over two hundred and fifty partners. Wow! And so, it's a full service, broad scope, you know, legal practice. Fantastic, and um, and and I'd like to thank you because um because you've uh, you've been sort of listening to the podcast uh, pretty much since we since we started started off and have been giving sort of feedback to some of the content and stuff like that. So thank yeah, you very no, much. I think I think it's really novel. I've been really engaged by it. I think um, you know the way that you've delivered some of the content and, and you know thinking about delivering content in a really different but engaging way is is actually really important and. Um, you know, I, I really like what you've been doing, and I, I like the sort of community aspect as well. And, and hope you know we can support you know you in in that. And um, you know, it's been really good to finally meet you because I don't think um, you know we met at least over ten years ago. And Must I, be about that, Certainly goes back. It does definitely, yeah. And that's probably something in a, in, a, in a drunken bar somewhere in Bristol yeah. after after a game of football or something like that. But anyway, I don't play I don't play much football anymore. If I did, I think I need to be a goalkeeper because I'm uh, of quite a large frame. Um, you know, we, we we were just briefly chatting before we uh, before we sort of came on came on air a little bit about um, mental health and, and and well-being and things like that. And and it was it was really interesting to see in your offices here that you. Um, you, you run quite a lot of events um, for the, for the people in the office, um, things like yoga, and I think there was there was going for going for a walk around around the Birmingham. Don't always like to walk around here, but uh, but how how seriously you know does does the business take take that side of things? I mean, I think in, in you know in the last couple of years, especially, it's placing a really really huge focus on you know employee well being, and there are a huge number of initiatives within the business at the moment around flexible working um, this week you know we've been talking and posting about um, shared parental leave and, and you know supporting fathers in particular in, in relation to you know becoming a, a parent um, the fitness the well-being healthy eating you know all of that is has received <coughs> attention and prominence um, certainly in Bristol we do uh, the, there's a running club. There's lunchtime hit classes. There's morning yoga and, and post work yoga. And so there's, there's you know there's, there's a real range of things. And you know I've even seen in certain places stand up desks. Mm -hmm. You know or breakout areas where people can you know move around and work in different ways. So you know even if those colleagues who are office based the vast majority of the time can you know build some variety into the day in, in, in that way and. You know, as an organisation, it's really important. As a manager of a team, it's it's you know I find it really important and like to engage people and encourage people to have the time to you know to do that. And certainly in terms of working flexibly, you know, if somebody wants to go for a run mid afternoon or something like that, that you know, and, and work through their lunch hour or, or you know switch things around, whatever works for them, brilliant. Because you know, in my view, you get more out of your people that way. Mm. And you were saying there about some of the sort of the more the more proactive organisations. 
um, and some of the disruptors, you know, have definitely have definitely taken a different approach on how they on how they allow their their employees to work. You know, do you, is that is that something that you're able to to start to sort of discuss with your with your clients? You know, these these kind of ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, this almost sort of more comes from you know a personal feeling rather than you know than any sort of scientific background. But you know, I, I find it really really interesting, and and you know against the background of us as an organisation looking at future health and safety risks and, and future risks in general and you know the use of more digital technologies in industry and, 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 and generally in our lives, you know, thinking about well what what works for those disruptors, you know, within industry, what what, what works for them and what are they bringing that's new, mm-hmm. you know, to and what lessons can be learned from that. And I think, you know, you know, we we were talking about Perhaps a quite a simple thing, but the likes of Google giving time to staff to spend a certain amount of their day or a certain amount of their time at work that isn't on the core job, mm-hmm. looking at other parts of the business, challenging the status quo, and for, you know, in my view, that those are certainly things you know and lessons that can be learned by you know across all industry really. Mm. Um, you know, if you've got staff who are engaged in a process or a work activity all day every day then you know from a health and safety perspective they may um, you know become slightly work blind to certain risks and having other people who just come in perhaps are less familiar with it and look at a process and you know even just to ask why why is something done a certain way mm-hmm. you know that can prompt a whole conversation or, or a question that an organization can ask itself well why do we do that or mm-hmm. you know is there a better way to do it can we design out some risk at, at the outset by doing it a different way or using different equipment or using different technology? And, you know, for me, that, 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 that's fascinating. And it'll also be really interesting and fascinating to see how regulators respond to that. Mm. We, um, yeah, you know, I, um, I run my own business. And, uh, and one of the, uh, I suppose, the mantras or one of the things that you're told is, to, is you've got to spend time on your business, not in your business. And um, you know, if you want it to, if you want it to, if you want it to grow, and you want it to develop, and I suppose you, you know, you can take you can take that philosophy right the way down through the business to the people, the, the doers, and um, the people at the sharp end. You know, giving them giving them time to work on the the process or whatever it is that they're doing, not just in the process, because ultimately your your your, your employees are the people who have probably got most knowledge about the way the job is done. You know, that's really valuable. You know. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'm sort of, you know, one of the first thoughts when you were saying that is actually sort of thinking about the way that I spend time, you know, with my team and the people that I manage within the business because we like to work really ag- in a very agile way and, and everybody in my team enjoys being out and about with clients, you know, several days a week. But that can naturally lead to times when actually I don't see my team or see my colleagues, you know, uh, perhaps once a week or, you know, if dates clash, then then it goes even longer. But but actually, making sure that you have that time to have face time, you know, so that you're supporting your team, mm-hmm. understanding what they've been doing, what's going on for the next week, what what are clients telling them, what are they bothered about, and it's just that time and that engagement, almost that sort of mental download. I think mm-hmm. is sort of really important. But at the same time, it allows you just to actually focus on, you know, the your work, your people, your team, your organisation. And, and, and that just starts the thought process, doesn't it, in terms of whether we're doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, is there a slightly different way to do things and that sort of thing. 
And it's, I mean, it's, it's so important. I've, um, one, of, one of my guys, Graham, I was, uh, I was chatting with him the other day and, and I said, you know, we, we haven't spent time together for, for, for a few weeks now. And I just said, we've just got to get it in the diary. We've got to get that time. And the thing is, we're, we're busy. And, uh, and it's easy to be, it's easy to get lost in amongst yeah. being busy. And so, you know, so it's, you know, to be fair, I see it as, it's my responsibility to make sure that I give Graham and the other guys in the business the, the, the time to, to engage and to chat and to talk. Um, and, you know, not necessarily when we're with clients, but, you know, just, you know, just time to, let's say, to, to empty, empty, empty my head, empty their heads. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, I just think you become more satisfied if you do that. So as an organisation, one of the things that we're trying to do, um, and I think it's probably fair to say some teams do it slightly better than others, is, is to have a weekly connect okay. meeting. It's supposed to be five minutes. It's, it's not huge, big stuff. It's how are you doing? What have you been doing this week? What have you done <coughs> next week? Mm-hmm. You know, what's something interesting, novel, different, you know, challenging, a problem, mm-hmm. you know, a, 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 and that sort of thing. Nothing more than that, but it's just the engagement thing. And then every month, you know, have a more in-depth, you know, meeting, mm-hmm. which is talking more about, you know, clients and events and, and some of the other projects that we've got on and, and, and you know, our more in-depth work. I set it up a few months ago and said, okay, well, we'll do our Connect meeting every Friday morning, mm-hmm. nine o'clock, before we've got our heads into other stuff. Has it worked for us as a team? Not at all, right. because invariably one or more of us have been out on a Friday and that's potentially given us the reason not to meet and things like that. And so I need to go back onto the drawing board in relation to that. But I'm already thinking about, you know, we need to do it in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it tells you you don't have the answers, but it at least gives you the, the, the sort of springboard to think about you know, how better to do things. And maybe, you know, I mean, cost, te- cost technology is where it is now. You know, I mean, I use things like Zoom and Skype and stuff like that an awful lot. And I know it's not quite as personal, but it, it is still more personal, more personal than email, you know, and more, more personal than a telephone call. You know, so there, there may, be, may be ways around it. Yes. But I think it's also about, it's about, um, you know, I mean, people have got, we've got the same amount of time in a day. It's prioritising, isn't it? You know, and it's, you know, and it's, I suppose, how important are these things you know, as a as a as a business, and if they're important enough, they happen. You know, and if uh, you know, so it's about getting that. I suppose about getting that that uh, get that right. One one of the things I noticed on your um, um, on your profile, you, you you talk a lot about you you're actually being proactive and you're providing advice and support into businesses. And a couple of things that were, that were down there was one of them was directors directors duties. So, how do you how do you work with a senior management team then when you uh, you know sort of when you're engaged with them? Yeah, so I think you know. Generally, as a starting point, the proactive advice piece is, you know, we view it as increasingly, you know, more important in in the work we do, and we don't simply want to be seen as, you know, a, a service which responds, you know, once there's a problem, mm-hmm. um, that you know there is a real role and, and a space for, you know, taking advice on, you know, good health and safety management culture. Um, and understanding risks and prevention and control, um, you know, as part of, you know, the everyday good management of an organisation. And that really trickles down from some of the, um, you know, guidance that is contained within, you know, things like HSE's guidance, HSG 65, Mm -hmm. um, and things like that, which is all talking about management approach to to managing risk. Um, And so certainly in relation to director's duties, it, 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 
you know, just taking that as a topic, then obviously people are really well versed in what an organization's headline responsibilities, you know, t to manage the health and safety risks that its staff or other people are facing. And I think those are generally relatively well known and people generally understand in my experience that there are then regulations that sit underneath those which, you know, uh, guide and provide responsibilities and duties in, in other ways in relation to other more specific risks, such as working at height and lifting equipment and, and those sorts of things which mm. we're all quite familiar with. The interplay with directors' duties is, is, is really interesting and directors, for example, will be generally, in my view, quite well versed as to what responsibilities they might have uh, under the Companies Act right. when they hold uh, <coughs> the office Sorry. of director within an organisation. I think what still generally comes as quite a surprise to senior managers often, especially if they haven't dealt with a health and safety incident before, is to understand where they can hold personal responsibility mm -hmm. uh, and how that interplays with the responsibilities of the organisation. And obviously each incident is very different and the way that organisations are structured and managed you know, brings its own differences with it. But you know, in, in general, um, there is the responsibility on senior people within organisations under Section 37 of the Health and Safety at Work Act um, to, to ensure that an organisation's failing isn't uh, down to their conduct, in effect, their mm. consent, connivance or neglect, um, because if, if it is, then in, in certain circumstances they could be personally liable, okay. um, as well as uh, the organisation uh, responsible as well under health and safety law for, for its failings. And that is mirrored to an extent in where in circumstances where you have a fatal accident with the Corporate Manslaughter Act, which attaches to organisations, mm -hmm. and there is a similar, there is a common law duty on directors, uh, uh, or, or where directors' conduct has found to be reckless or to fall very far below the standard to be ex to be expected. So much worse than negligence. Mm -hmm. uh, in circumstances where there's been a death, then you know they could be guilty of. Gross negligence manslaughter. Mm -hmm. So it exists um, in common law where there's a death in terms of manslaughter, but also you know within that general health and safety sphere as well. So, so you're you also talking with um, with people about about how they you know set up things like their structure and provide the right resources and, and that kind of stuff. Do you get down? Do you get into the nitty gritty like that, or is, or is it a lot higher level? Uh, it's it's generally more higher level because mm -hmm. I think the reality is it's very very difficult for a, a you know a, a lawyer to come in and and, and understand exactly why an organisation's chosen to structure it in a particular way because you know the chances are those will be myriad and complex reasons that go well beyond health and safety. Yep. I think it's important to signpost to organisations that the responsibility exists and to challenge them to think about how they were going to manage and discharge that, you know, mm -hmm. as well they should be. Um, but I think it's really, you know, for example, interesting in circumstances where you have multinational organisations, directors' responsibilities can differ in different legal jurisdictions mm -hmm. and so there is often an education piece for example with um, you know foreign ownership or foreign managed companies who are present in the UK and perhaps have operations directors here mm -hmm. you know there is a sometimes an advice piece in terms of 
ensuring that those directors and, and the ultimate owners un understand you know the, the domestic responsibilities on the, <coughs> on the directors Sorry. on the ground here mm. no okay I get that I get that you mentioned um, quite quite a bit when you were when you were talking then about about risk and, and people un understanding risk and um, and and I, I've recently um, I've recently done a bit of work with uh, with one of my clients where we've been looking at how they how they how they identify risk and how they how they, they I suppose they put some start to put some control together and, and and we've actually moved totally away from from a numbered system you know because because you know the, I think I think sometimes when you when you're looking at um you know when you're looking at doing risk assessment and you and you have these numbers then then that becomes the driving factor about uh, about getting the numbers right so that uh, so that everything's green you know rather than actually looking at what what sensible and serious controls are the, are the, are the, are the best things in place have you, have you got a view have you got a view on on how on how businesses assess risk and you know maybe some of the some of the problems that you've identified when you've uh, when you've had to investigate accidents and incidents yeah I mean I think obviously you know risk assessment has been a concept that's been with us for an awful you know, a, a very long time. But interestingly, it's, you know, in my view, it's still an area where organisations, you know, can get things wrong. And, and you know, we certainly see plenty of good risk assessments and plenty of bad risk assessments, but very, very difficult, actually, to generalise and say that that's a feature of a good risk assessment that's a, that would be applicable in your organisation, because actually, each organisation's got to go through that process for itself to identify um, things. I think, in general, m my view is that you know where risk assessment tends to go wrong is where um, the risk assessment becomes unwieldy and unfit, you know, not fit for purpose. Um, so, in terms of the documentation itself, sometimes it can go on to identify, you know, myriad risks that potentially, you know, aren't, um, you know, in, in any way. Um, relevant to the to the process or the activity which is being you know risk assessed and uh, just generally organizations need to be mindful of what what is actually required in terms of the requirement to um, reduce to a risk assessment those risks which are significant mm. and um, that's a really important point for organizations but it really needs to think about you know, it can be a bit of a comfort blanket, can't it? I think to potentially put everything in because it shows that you've thought about it. Mm. But what I'm just trying to say is that might not always be the answer. And if they aren't relevant risks, or if they're very peripheral risks, but actually you then haven't identified appropriate controls in relation to that, then you leave yourself open to to some challenge. I would say in relation to that. Mm. And I think the second point is then the risk assessment or the well-intentioned risk assessment is then done, and I know you've talked about it in, in relation to other things, um, Colin, but, but what does the organisation then do with it? Mm. Because it, it doesn't need to give every employee the risk assessment to read and understand, but it's got to have some sort of process of ensuring that the contents of the risk assessment is distilled and disseminated in, in some way. Mm. And again, that's going to depend on what works for the organisation and the workforce and the nature of the work. But what an organisation can't and shouldn't do is just stick it in a drawer and forget about it. Um, and so it, it's that second that second stage of you know disseminating the lessons learned mm -hmm. uh, from the risk assessment and making sure that they then translate into practice in terms of the work that's being done on the ground. 
you know, those are the really important things. Um, and, you know, I know it's something you've touched on previously, but workforce engagement in relation to that process is, is you know, is, is obviously mm. advisable. Um, because the last thing you want to do is, you know, somebody who's not involved in the process is, you know, producing something which looks fantastic on paper, but actually doesn't really bear any resemblance to the way that the work needs to be done on the ground. No, no, I totally agree with you on that. And I think one of the things that I've, uh, you know, I suppose I've found one of the things I've, that I've learned um, just listening to other people talking about about this topic is, is you know, risk assessment. You, where, where people often get it wrong is this, this whole the, the likelihood side of things, and you know, because because the majority of people, you know, when they're when they're when they're doing jobs or when they're when they're doing stuff, they they don't think anything's going to go wrong. It's not going to happen to me. So it so it becomes it becomes really difficult then to 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 put a likelihood on on on, that, on the on the consequence. And so and so one of the things that that I'm encouraging the people that I work with from a risk assessment perspective is. Is to is to turn that whole thing around, and rather than say, you know, well, what's the what's the likelihood of uh, of this particular bad event happening or whatever, it's it's saying, okay, then when it happens, not if it happens, when it happens, have we got the right controls in place to stop somebody getting seriously injured or killed? And I think if you can take that approach when you're doing risk assessment, then it's going to be um, you're going to get some different outcomes, and but hopefully some better controls. Yeah, I think I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think mm. that's that's eminently sensible because, especially, you know, you, you, you will get people, you know, downplay it from the perspective of, you know, that hasn't happened to us previously. If we carry on doing what we're going to do, mm. as we do it at the moment, it, it, it won't happen, mm. you know. And I, I agree, arguably, that's that's the wrong starting point. Mm. You, um, <coughs> sorry, I've got a bit of a coffee, I do apologise. Um, one of the things again that I thought I was really, really interested in uh, when I had a look at your, you know, at the profile was this due diligence. So, so, you, so when when a company is looking to buy another company, you can support them to. What do you do? Are you, are you looking at the? Are you looking at the culture of the business? Are you looking at the physical conditions? What sort of things do you look at to, from a due, a due diligence perspective, from a health and safety perspective? Well, it, it, it is an interesting area, and it, it's. In my experience, it's inconsistently applied. So, you know, and it will come down to an acquirer's appetite for for risk, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent. And that's clearly topical when we're generally talking about risk. But I talk about risk in a in a in a slightly different sense there. In so far as, you know, organisations, if they are acquiring another organisation or an operation or people or processes or whatever, then they will usually make certain inquiries around what it is that they are buying before they buy it. Mm-hmm. And you know they will make various different financial inquiries um, to, to understand you know, w- what exists there. Is there any you know, gremlins in the finances that, that are gonna come out and surprise us you know, in 12 months time? Those sorts of things. Um, and that's <coughs> the lawyer's role in, 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 in that is to try to identify, signpost and advise on those things. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the organisation then has to decide whether or not that's a, that, that they want to proceed with that transaction and acquire that organisation. Clearly organisations where they have people and processes you know, have responsibilities for health and safety. And so one of the due diligence inquiries that can be made 
is to understand how that is being presently managed within the business. Mm -hmm. And so you can make a number of inquiries, for example, before you go ahead with the transaction, to understand the history around you know, accidents, accident records within the business. How many riddles have there been in the last five years? What have those been in relation to? Um, you know, seek disclosure of certain documents in terms of you know integrated management systems, health and safety policies. You might even ask to see risk assessments and things like that. You might ask to see records um, that go to whether or not things have been inspected in accordance with any statutory requirements. You can make all of those inquiries if you want to of an organisation, and depending on the response you get back, um, you know you, you can take a view as to whether or not you think that this is an organisation which is managing its health and safety responsibilities well, potentially where there are gaps, you know, um, is there ongoing litigation, how many injury claims are ongoing, is there any ongoing HSE investigations or prosecutions and what are the likely fines potentially or potential fines that, that, that might result from that. All of that adds to you know, the information that you can then advise and put in front of, you know, your client mm -hmm. for it to ultimately decide whether or not it wants to proceed mm -hmm. uh, to acquire that process, organisation, uh, workforce or, 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 or what have you. So that, that in broad terms is sort of how due diligence works. Um, as an organisation, DSC Beechcroft, you know, through our commercial colleagues, you know, will do this an awful lot. Mm -hmm. um, in my experience, where the acquiring organisation wants to carry out that health and safety thread of the due diligence is, you know, in probably a relatively small percentage of of, of those sorts of transactions. Mm. And it'll be really interesting, in my view, to see, you know, as you know, health and safety sensing guidelines become more embedded, um, you know, people fear million pound fines, you know, mm. more than they, they used to, you know, will that translate into organisations making th those inquiries, you know, in, in more cases going forwards? Mm. Um, you know, clearly from my perspective, you know, it would be sensible to do so because a, you know, a relatively small, you know, investment, you know, of some, uh, uh, some proactive legal advice at that very <coughs> stage, just to put you in the full picture, Mm -hmm. so that you can make an informed decision, mm -hmm. um, you know, it seems to me to be a fairly prudent step. I think, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like doing, it's, it's doing a health check and it's doing an audit. It's it's having a look. I mean, because the, the day that you take ownership of that business, you you take on responsibility. That's right. You know, so if you've got people there that aren't competent, if you've got equipment that isn't that hasn't been statutory inspected or isn't up to scratch, then then there's a load of pound notes that come with that. You know, so uh, you know, so you need to you know you need to you need to be aware of that. Don't you? Well, absolutely, and, and I mean, you know, the worst thing would be to inherit a problem, mm. but I suppose that you know the, the the next worst or equally as worse would be to then have a problem on day one of your you know custody of the mm. organisation or, mm -hmm. or your ownership of it, yeah. because then it lands firmly at your door, mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. would be no defence to simply say, well, we only you know acquired this business today or something, mm -hmm. you know. No, that's right. That's right. Okay, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I'm a part of a couple of, of, of business um, 
uh, groups, I suppose, and uh, you know, and there's there's often quite a bit of talk about acquisition and takeovers and stuff like that, and and it's very very rare that you hear people talking about the the health and safety side of it. You know, they're they're looking at the they're looking at the numbers, they're looking at the you know the, the customers and and all that kind of stuff, and and sometimes that can get left behind. So so thanks a lot for for talking about that. So how did you find that? I I just I just really enjoyed spending time with Ian. Um, it, was, it was great to listen to to him talking about the the sort of the more disruptive companies that are out there, the ones that are you know that are just making a difference by being different. Um, and you know when we spoke about you know if you're going to be working, uh, you know I own my own business. I, I I don't just work on in my business. I work on my business. Well, why not get your employees to do exactly the same? Why not get them to spend time away from the doing and actually challenge them to think about what they're doing and how can they do it better i thought that was absolutely superb um the director's duties and you know personal prosecution again um uh as two solicitors i've spoken to now um and they've both said that personal prosecutions are going to become you know more of a feature moving forward so you know it's um it's something something to think about um your own your business you know just make sure you're aware of what your duties what your responsibilities are um uh, in the next episode, um, we're going to talk a little bit about CDM and designers and um, some of the sort of the more positive things that you can do uh, in your business moving forward. Uh, um, you know, thanks a lot. We'll, we'll be playing that um, probably in about a week's time. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that and uh, I'll speak to you really soon. Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business.